Good morning to the rest of you too, amen? Take your Bible, if you would, and open it to Matthew chapter 28. I'm excited to have the opportunity to be here with you, and I'm excited to talk to you about the most exciting thing in the world, and that's taking the name of Jesus Christ to the uttermost parts of the earth. That is the most exciting opportunity God's ever given us. So I would just like to take you back for a few minutes, and I'd like to challenge you to take your Bibles and to take your hearts and to open them and allow you to realize today that God can do something great and mighty through your life that would impact and change the world. You can make a difference. You weren't made to just live here. You weren't born to grow up, get some kids, uh, build you a nest, have some uh, family things and have some toys and die. But God made you to do something that would be great for his name and bring honor to him. So if you would turn with me to Matthew 28 and uh, verse uh, 18. Now, I don't know if you understand, but you're sitting in a church. A church is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you believe that's a amen. It's an exciting place to be. You are where the God of heaven works. He works in and through a local church. That's everything he does from the cover of the New Testament, first cover to the end of the New Testament. It is the way God does things. It's through a church. And the founder of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the one who owns us, and he's the one that purchased us. He's the one that built the church. And in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, he says something like this. He said, I have been given all power, all authority. I can say anything I want to say to you because I am the one who was born of a virgin. I am the one who lived on the earth. I am the one who died on a cross to pay for sin. I am the one who was buried. I am the one who was dead for three days. And I am the one that rose again. And so before I say anything, can I remind you, I have every right to say what I'm about to say. How many of you feel like he has the right to say whatever he wants to say? Say amen. All right, he, he can say it, can he? All right, now look what he says in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. He says in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, the Bible says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Now, do you know when the church got so, so, man, we get so confused. We think church is about us getting together and singing. We think it's about us getting together and worshiping. We think it's about us getting together and learning the Bible. And all of that is true, but all of that's really a byproduct. It's not the end result. It's not the goal. The guy who started the church, the guy who purchased the church, the guy who owns the church, the guy whose body we are said, I have all authority, and let me tell you what I want you to do. I want you to go and teach all nations. I want you to preach the gospel to every creature. As my Father sent me, so send I you. And after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall, be, you shall receive power, and you shall be witnesses. Not you might be. You shall be witnesses. Where do you want us to be witnesses? Both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. So many times we gather together in church and we honestly focus on ourselves. Our, our whole lives are built around this. How do I take care of my finances? Focus on my family, take care of my money, get my retirement, bless me, help me. Doctor, feel me here at the church. I need somebody, Oprah, bring some Oprah on. It's all about me. I need you to do something for me. And Jesus said, excuse me, I started the church. 
I started the church, and I have a purpose for the church. And by the way, the reason your life is so boring and messed up and the reason you're so messed up in everything you're doing is because you lost your way. You lost your purpose. You did get saved, but when he got you saved, he saved you to have the most exciting, adventurous life on the planet. He saved you to be a world evangelist. He saved you to carry the gospel to the world. Now, I can hear you now. You're thinking to yourself, hey, man, you're talking to First Baptist of New Philadelphia and Ohio, we're not that church. We're not the Jerusalem church. We're not the Antioch church. We're not that church. So let's, let me remind you, would you go in your Bible with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 34? We'll get to the message. All this is introduction. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 34, Paul says, awake to righteousness. Hey, you guys are saved. Wake up and act like it. And then he said this. He said, some have not the knowledge of God. <laughs> I speak this. To your shame. Let me put that in Tennessee hillbilly for you. He said, wake up Christians. Act like you're Christians. Some people don't know about Jesus. Shame on you. Guess who he was talking to? The most carnal church he wrote a letter to. This is the church. This is the church where he starts off the letter and he said, the house of Chloe wrote me a letter and I know about y'all fighting. You're a bunch of fussing and fighting babies. I would talk to you like you're spiritual, but you're a bunch of babies. The fact is, you're going around chanting, I'm on Paul's team and I'm on Peter's team. By the way, you're taking each other to court. You are a carnal bunch of people. The fact is, one of you guys is sleeping with your daddy's wife. I cannot believe the rest of you hadn't done something about it. You're fighting and fussing over whether or not you eat food. I mean, this is the bad church. This isn't the Philippian church. This isn't the Ephesians church. This isn't the Roman church. This is the first the letter to the Corinthian carnal church. I would never name my church Corinth Baptist Church. It would be like naming your church a bad Christian Baptist church. <laughs> and guess who he said to them, hey, as bad as y'all are, you do know me. And as weak as you are, you do know me. And some don't know me, and shame on you. And maybe the reason you're so messed up, and maybe the reason I'm having to fuss at you so much is you've gotten lost, and you haven't figured out your purpose. The purpose of a church is what our founder told us to do, take the gospel to the entire world. Can you get a hold of that a little bit? Do you see that? The fact is, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I won't take the time to read it but, so that we can get to the message, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, I give you the ministry of reconciliation. I give you the ministry of going to the world and telling them that God was in Jesus, reconciling the world unto himself and not imputing their sins unto them. I give you the ministry. Excuse me, Holy Spirit, if you're going to give the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of bringing men back to God, the ministry of, of saving people to somebody, please don't give it to Corinth. Please give it to the Philippian church. Don't give it to those yahoos that don't know what they're doing. But here's, I think, a big lesson for us. If he could trust the Corinthian church with the ministry of reconciliation, there's not a church on the planet he can't trust. He could trust you. Amen. Your church is important and your church is vital. And I'd just like to take a couple of minutes and share some things with you. I would just like to remind you that there's a big world out there, and most Christians have a hard time understanding that. 
You know, I grew up in Tennessee. I didn't have an indoor bathroom until I was in the 10th grade. And, you know, uh, uh, so that means that whenever you got to go to the bathroom, you pray it ain't cold. You pray it ain't raining. And you pray you can make it. Amen. And that's the way I grew up. I took a bath in a tub on the back porch, and I promise you, I thought getting out of, I can remember the first time I left Bucksnort and made a trip all the way to Nashville. I was like, are you believing this? I have gone to Nashville. It was 40 miles away. I was astonished. I was in Nashville. And I can remember thinking as I read stories about great Christians and missionaries, because and, there wasn't anything to do. You know, there's three snowy channels on TV back then. And you young people won't believe us, but they didn't even have cell phones. And you couldn't play on your iPad. And I mean, all you had to do was read books and sleep or work. And you could watch TV, but when the president came on, you couldn't get off that. He was on channel one and channel two and channel three, and that's it. There wasn't any more channels. And so I used to think, what's that guy doing taking up the only time I can watch Batman and Robin? I mean, this is ridiculous. <laughs> but, you know, I found out there's a big world out there. And I don't know if you realize it, but the United States, this place I could cover up with my hand, only makes up about 5 or 6% of the entire world. And God has made us very extremely wealthy Christians do you realize I'm one of the wealthiest men on the planet? I'm wealthy financially. When you compare me to somebody who lives in Africa, who lives on sometimes as low as 11 cents a day, or you compare me to people in another country that maybe live on $30 a month, and you compare me to any of them, I'm a wealthy guy. But if you really want to compare me to this, I was born and raised in a home that taught me about Jesus. I don't remember when I learned John 3.16. I think I knew it when I came out of the womb. I could say the books of the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, I could say them so fast I can't even understand myself. And I could say them backwards too. I mean, I grew up knowing that. I heard preachers and I saw preachers every day of my life. And I've been able to be a part of a fellowship like you are, a place where you come together and you talk about Jesus and you sing about Jesus. And a bunch of young people up there holding their hands up and excited and older people back there with their hand held high in the air. And, and you can know that God's here and working with us. But the majority of the world is going to die and go to hell and never have heard there was a Jesus. And never have heard that somebody died for them. But the God of heaven is going to say, I built a church in New Philadelphia, and I told them to tell the world. But most of our churches will say, wait a minute, forget that. Over here, over here, on, this side of the, over here on this side of the map, you'll get to China, that blue spot right there. Only a billion, 300 million, only over four times, nearly five times the size of our country. And by the way, they are hungrily accepting Christ as their Savior. I know Chinese pastors that, are, that, are, are, uh, are, that I've met, that I know personally. The missionary who led them to Christ is my personal friend. And a hundred of them will meet in a church this morning. And, 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 and they'll, they'll sing and they'll preach and they'll, and they'll offer the gospel. The pastor's been arrested. The missionary's been taken downtown. But they don't care. They're going to tell people about Jesus. This is like the most exciting place you've ever been. I know a guy that I think your church supports who lives in northern Africa. And in northern Africa, they, they get up and they literally send out emails and, and text messages and say, if you want to know about Jesus, text me. And they get on, a, they get on a, a, a motorcycle or they get in a car or they get on a bus and they drive to a place and they sit at a water fountain in the middle of town and they wait for somebody to show up and they're sitting there like 007 with a knapsack full of Bibles and, and, and gospel DVDs and they hand them out and witness to people. God's working, but there's all of Africa needing Jesus.
Let me give you a few things if I could real quickly before I go on. The 108 people die per minute somewhere in this world. 21 of those that die are under the age of five. That leaves about 87 people dying a minute over the age of five. You say, what's that important for? Because I figure if they're under five, maybe they don't know enough. Maybe they haven't reached the age of accountability. Maybe they get to go to heaven. Maybe. If only 10% of the world is actually a true believer, then only nine out of the 87 people go to heaven every minute. Now, I don't know if you know this because you think everybody's saved. You look around, you say, good night, the whole world knows about Jesus. Only 35% of the world even uses the word Christian. And half of the world has not heard a clear presentation. And of the 35% that claim to be Christian, they have no Bible concept of salvation, maybe 10%. That leaves 78 people going to hell every minute. That means over 4,500 people go to hell every hour. 4,500. You know, you're a great people. You let a tsunami come into a place and take out 3,000 people in a few hours and you will be heartbroken and you will shut down the internet sending them money. But you let 4,500 people die every hour and you'll be like, oh, what's coming on TV next? There's not been one tragedy in the history of the United States that took 4,500 people in one hour. Not the Twin Towers and not the bombing of Pearl Harbor. But it will happen every hour of this day. Every hour of this day. And we are to take the gospel to the world. What percentage of your life are you dedicating to do something about the great need around the world? We are responsible to get the gospel to the world. Our founder said, all power is given to me, all authority. I can say what I want to say, and here it is. Y'all get together, hold hands, and sing Kumbaya and enjoy life. Not what he said. He said, I got big things going on. I'm a great God with a great Bible, the great power of the Holy Spirit, and I am going to revolutionize the world, and I'll let you get in on it. The local church is to train missionaries because many literally do not know what they're doing. I spent 20 years of my life as a missionary. I spent one year raising my support. I spent uh, one year learning the language in Mexico, and I spent 18 years in Adikipa, Peru. You got to understand, I'm a scaredy cat, chicken coward. <laughs> when I was in high school, they said, you will not be able to learn a language. I took French, and they said, you can't learn a language. So when I got to college, and they told me, they said, we have two degrees that we offer. We have a BA and a BS. And I said, well, what's the difference in a Bachelor of Arts and a Bachelor of Science? They said, well, a Bachelor of Arts is a little more prestigious. I said, man, I go for prestige any day of the week. I'll take anything I can get. I said, what's the difference? They said, well, you have to learn a language. I said, I had French in high school. Do they offer French here? I made D minuses, but I thought, might as well give a chance. And the lady was from, the lady was from Germany. She spoke French and German fluently. I mean, she was a real one of them people, you know. 
So I took the first semester. She liked me. She said, Austin, you have no language ability. But I like you, so I'll give you a D minus if you won't come back to this class. I said, can I try German? She said, I said, I want that, I want that prestige. I want that Bachelor of Arts. She said, well, the way you slaughter French and the guttural way you talk, maybe German's better for you. I got another D minus. She liked me. I only got two D minuses in my entire career in education. And then I felt like the Lord was dealing with me about being a missionary. And I said, no, Lord, if you want me to be a missionary, we already know something. We got something real clear. And that is, I can't speak English, much less anything else. I am from Tennessee. I'm a hillbilly. I'm a redneck. And I felt like God wanted me to go where they spoke Spanish. And the first week we were in language school, I just told the lady, I said, lady, I'm going to learn Spanish. She said, how you know it? I said, he told me I was going to preach in Spanish, and I don't think I can do that if I don't learn Spanish. About the first week, she said, you have no language ability. (laughs) I was number one in her whole school the year I was there. Because you see, God's got big plans for you. And whatever fear you have, just a few minutes ago, your pastor says to me, can you make your way to the office by yourself? And here's the thought that crossed my mind. I wonder if there's a car I can borrow and get out of here. Because I don't really feel that good about getting in front of all them people. I'm scared. You say, you're scared. You see, it doesn't matter who you are. God wants to use you. And I want to talk to you about doing something great for God. And a church ought to train missionaries and send them out. And as a missionary, I can tell you this, 90% of the missionaries that I've met around the world, if you shot them, you'd do God and the people a favor. They don't speak the language. They love God, but no one ever trained them. They were basically abandoned and orphaned by a local church. So a church somewhere ought to step up and say, I'll love them, adopt them, and stay with them until it's over. They soon get discouraged because they weren't prepared. By the way, I don't really want to shoot them for some of you people. Some of you people are so literal, you're thinking, he really does want to shoot them. I don't really want to shoot them. That was a saying. They soon get discouraged. They want to quit. They don't know how to deal with the, the, the getting to the field, culture shock, church work. They don't learn a language. They don't adapt to culture. But what if you had a church who would say, I've been on the field. I've started two churches. I know how to deal with cross-cultural relations. I know how to teach the Bible. And I'd like to help you do something great for God. So take your Bible now, and I'll take you to the message. Oh, that was introduction. First Samuel chapter 14. I want to talk to you about doing something great for God. It's one of my favorite Bible stories. It's one of my favorite Bible stories. The Bible says in Jonathan, First Samuel chapter 14 and verse 6. The Bible says, And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over into the garrison of those uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that's in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Then Jonathan said, Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. If they say thus unto us, Tarry until we come to you, then we'll stand still in our place and will not go up unto them. But if they say thus, come up unto us, then we will go up, for the Lord hath delivered them into our hand. 
and this shall be a sign unto us. And both of them discovered themselves unto the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they had hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, Come up after me for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made was about twenty men, within as it were a half-acre of land, which a yoke of oxen might plow. And there was trembling in the host in the field, and among all the people, the garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled in the earthquake, so it was a very great trembling. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and, and behold, the multitudes melted away, and they went on beating down one another. Skip down if you would to verse 23 because the key to the whole story is Jonathan is about to win a great battle and you could easily get your eyes off of who's doing the job and who's the powerful one. But verse 23 says, so the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle passed over Beth Haven. Who won the battle that day? So who did? So the, so the Lord saved Israel that day. Now I want you to go back if you would to First Corinthians, First Samuel chapter 13. And I want to get you set up. Israel is just now becoming a nation, and they're just now getting powerful. Saul has been elected king, and they've had a battle or two. And uh, really, they don't have swords, and they don't have spears. And, I mean, the, the honest truth is it's an army with no weapons. In 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 22, the Bible, well, so let's start in verse 19. In verse 19, it said, Now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. And so the Philistines said, we have defeated Israel and we got them under control. So let's take away their ability to make weapons. So they'll have no swords and they'll have no spears. Skip down, if you would, to verse 22. In verse 22, so it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan, but with Saul and with Jonathan, his son, there was found. So basically what you got is two guys have a sword and two guys have a spear and nobody else has anything but a hoe or, a, or a, 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 some other farm implement that they have turned into a weapon. There's two swords and there's two spears, but they are going to do something great for God that day. Let's have a word of prayer and ask God to do that in your life. Father, I pray now that you'd wake up your people. Lord, I know this is a loving church. I know they love you. I know they love your word, and I know they love the world, and I know they want to do great things. And I thank you for them, and the Holy Spirit of God, I beg you to work in our lives and challenge us and motivate us so that we would be able to accomplish something great. God, there's a young man, there's a young woman, there's an older man, there's an older woman sitting in this room, and down deep in their heart beats a, a desire to be used of you in a great way. And I know that you are great, and I know it's not too late, and I know that you will do great things. And I am asking you, dear God, to turn New Philadelphia, First Baptist Church of New Philadelphia, I'm asking you to turn this church into a world evangelism church that literally has members spread all over the globe and churches being started just like their home church and souls being saved and trained and sent out to do the work. And I'll give you praise for it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 
I'd like you to write some things in your Bible, just three words that you'll write down before the day is over. If you would, I'd like to tell you a Bible story, and then I'd like to apply it to your life, and that'll, and that, that'll be it. The first thing I'd like to do is to ask you to write down in, in your Bible the word dream, and you can do that around about verse 6. Just out, write down the word dream, or write down dream a dream. And I'd like to challenge you to dream this morning. In the Bible story, here's basically what happens. Uh, you, you kind of watch this way. So you see, here's basically what's going on in the Bible story. In the Bible story, the, the nation of Israel is, the nation of Israel is uh, uh, losing. They're not winners. They're not champions. They're not conquerors. Things aren't going their way. And uh, Saul, uh, Jonathan's out one day with his armor bearer, the guy that's like, I mean, it's his deacon. It's his uh, armor bearer. It's the guy who carries his weapons for him. It's the guy that's supposed to be up there in front of him holding the shield when he goes to fighting. This guy's supposed to be with him. Jonathan's out walking around, and I can only imagine what he's doing. He's like, man, they made my daddy king I'm a prince and I could be doing some great stuff and I would like to accomplish something big with my life and he's down there and all of a sudden they stumble across a garrison of Philistine soldiers Uh, the enemy has built a garrison and they have moved into Israel's territory and Jonathan looks up and says what are they doing on Israel's land this is ridiculous Now, had he been a good Baptist, he would have simply said to his armor bearer, you hide here and watch them, and I'll run home, and I will get some of daddy's men, and me and daddy will come back with the other boys, and we'll try to fight these Philistines. But not Jonathan. Jonathan dreams a dream. Jonathan says to himself, I wonder if God could use me. I wonder if God could take my little nobody life and use me to do something really big for him. And I can prove to you he was dreaming if you got your Bible open there. And I want you to watch it. And by the way, can I just say this to you? If you're a born-again Christian, there beats in your heart way down deep. Maybe it was a long time ago, and maybe you've hidden it, and maybe you've forgotten it. But something inside of you says, man, I want to be used to God too. I want to be part of the big things that God's doing. I want to disciple people. I want to train people. I want to win souls to Jesus Christ. I want to build a Sunday school class. I want to do more than everybody else. I want to do something for God. Most of us got a dream way down deep inside. And watch what Jonathan did, if you would. Read with me chapter, uh, read with me chapter 14 and verse 6. Jonathan said to the young man that bears armor, come. He didn't say, go tell daddy. He said, come, let us go over into the garrison of these uncircumcised. And listen to what he says. Are you ready? Circle this in your Bible. It may be that the Lord will work for us. Here's what he said. <laughs> it's possible, it might be, that God would let me and you do something really big today. That was really kind of dumb thinking. It was kind of fanciful thinking. This is a garrison of Philistine soldiers. I don't know how many are there, but before the day's over, he's going to kill 20 before the battle gets started. He's going to kill 20 of them before the battle gets started. So there's two guys. One of them's a cowardly armor bearer, and the other one is, is Jonathan. And they're already looking up there, and there's at least 20 because he kills 20, and there's a garrison of them. And he says, it might be that God would do something with us. And this morning, I remember so well when I was... 18. I remember when I was 11 and they talked about being a missionary and I said, Lord, if you'd let me, I'd be a missionary. I didn't know I hadn't, didn't have language ability. Good night. I'd never been anywhere. I mean, when you live in Bucks, North Tennessee, where do you go? 
I mean, I, I didn't. Have, I, I used to read the stories of Hudson Taylor and Jonathan Goforth and William Carey because there's nothing else to do. And I read every book in the library. I mean, I, I dreamed about stuff. And I used to watch the airplanes fly across the sky and say, maybe someday I can get on one of them and fly somewhere and learn another language and, and be one of those preachers. It might be God could use me, even a little hick from Tennessee. Maybe God could do something with me. And I think you're dreaming that dream. I think maybe you've shuffled it down and hidden it. I remember when God was dealing with me and, I, and everybody was saying, are you called to preach, Austin? I said, I ain't called to preach. I'm just going to be a missionary. I didn't know missionaries preached. I thought I'd dig a well. I thought maybe I'd become a surgeon. I had no idea what it really meant to be a missionary. Yet I was just a dumb kid. And I, and I was in college, and there was three of us. There was a guy named Steve, and Steve was like the boldest, wildest man I'd ever seen. On the first side of college, during high school, I had been, they called me, uh, well, just a, a gay, funny boy, you know, in the old-fashioned bad way. I mean, they just made fun of me because I didn't have girls, and I didn't get drunk, and I didn't do anything, and I carried a Bible, and they always made fun of me. They called me the Jesus freak. I felt like the weirdest kid in school because I, I used to lead a Bible study. By one guy, and 15 girls came to it, and, 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 and public high school, man, I was on there. Here comes Austin Gardner, the preacher boy, walking up. Tell y'all about Jesus, and I. So I, you know. So when I got to college, I said, "God, please let me have just one friend, one man who loves God and who'll stand for you." And I got there that first night. It was a Bible college, quote unquote, really was. And I showed up to that school, and I got there. And when I first got there, they were all talking about they was going to go get drunk that night. They said, "Man, it's the last time before we got to start studying. Let's all go hit the bottle." And I'm thinking to myself. I don't do that. I've got to figure out how to get out of here. And I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be laughed at. I've been laughed at in high school. It's my chance to start over. And so I was going, got a headache. Got a stomachache. Got to unpack. What am I going to say? And about that time, one of my buddies jumped forward. Uh, that He became my buddy. He goes, you don't need to get drunk. Bless God. Y'all need Jesus. And he started giving out gospel tracts. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, and when he told people he was called to preach, I said, of course. How couldn't he be? Another one of my buddies, he was a president of freshman class. He was a president of everything. He had a 1947 Plymouth. He used to stand up on top of it and play the guitar. And uh, he'd, he'd play Elvis songs first. I know that's a long time ago. But he, he'd play Elvis songs first, and then he'd come over and he'd play some Christian songs. And my other buddy would jump up on top and preach, and I'd stand over going, I ain't doing none of that. I'm scared to death. I remember The Exorcist came to town. It was the dirtiest movie had been in the theaters. And my buddy Steve called me, and he said, we're going to movies. Exorcist is in town. I said, I can't go to the Exorcist. I could not. I'm a Christian. He said, shut up and bring a box of tracks. What happened, the theater was full, and there were about 500 people waiting. And as soon as they dumped one load, a whole other load to go in. So we pulled up, and Steve said, this is how it's going to be. I'll preach, and you give out the tracks. Well, that was really easy. He got to stand about 50 feet away yelling at them. And I had to get real close and hand them tracks. And he stood there and he goes, you people have come here tonight because you want to know about the devil. Let me tell you what the Bible says about the devil. Look here in the book of Mark. And he's preaching to them and I'm handing gospel tracts. They're saying, I'm going to break your head. I'm going, please don't, please don't. Passing out gospel tracts. That was a nut. I met my wife coming out of a bar. There'd been a bar in my life. One day I go to my buddy. I said, hey, let's go soul winning. He said, I'm tired of going door to door. Let's go to the bar. I said, I don't go to bars. He said, shut up and follow me. He took his Bible, stuck it in his back pocket, and we walked in the bar. Men and guys were mooses in there. 
We walked in that bar, and uh, we walked up to the bar, and I said, and the guy comes up, and he said, what do you want to drink? And Steve, well, what can I do to serve you? And Steve said, I'm here to serve you. Lay his Bible down. So the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, and he turned around and said, give him a track. They're fixing to throw us out of here. I'm like, so when God was dealing with me, I'm like, I want to, but it'd never be me. I can't. You ever known those flashy guys? Then there's some of these duds like me and you. We're just regular people. But you dream, don't you? And Jonathan said, maybe, maybe I could learn a language even if they said I couldn't. Maybe I could start a church. Maybe I could win some people to Christ. Maybe. And then notice what else it says in that verse, if you would. Look, if you would, in verse 6, it says, It may be that the Lord will work for us. There's no restraint to the Lord. Check that out. You can't stop God. You can stop Austin, and you can stop even Steve and Rick, who are so cool and so powerful and afraid of nothing, but there's no restraint to God. The God of heaven can do it all. Say amen. He can use nobodies like us. There's no restraint. There's no restraint. And then I like this other part. Would you look at your Bible there again? Verse, in, the same, in the same verse 6, it says, to save by many or by few. I want you to get the picture. There's a whole garrison of soldiers over there, and there's Jonathan and his armor bearer. One guy and one guy. That makes two. There are dozens over there, if not a hundred or better. And he looks, at, he looks at his armor bearer and says, buddy, I know there's a heap of them up there, but God don't care. If I'd have been the armor bearer, I'd have said, I know, but I do. <laughs> I'd have said, there's a bunch of them. There's only two of us. And, and Jonathan says, man, God could do something big. God could use us. And I'd have been like, and he might not. <laughs> That's what's going on. Can you see the story? If you see the story, say amen. It started with a dream. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, by the way, don't have to look it up. But the Bible says in Philippians 2, 13, it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. How many of you have had something simmering? Simmering, you know. It's in there. You don't ever talk about it. <laughs> but the truth is, right now you're going, I identify with you, buddy. I ain't anybody, never done anything, but I always wanted to. Tell the truth. You're thinking, <laughs> I'm not that Rick guy. I ain't playing no guitar on the top of a 1947 Plymouth to draw a crowd. And I'm not the other guy jumping up there. And I ain't even going to yell at him at the exorcist and preach the Bible to him. But I'd like to do something. You know who put that dream in you? If you want to do something for God, it didn't come from you. If you want to do something from God, it didn't come from the devil. It is God that both willeth, that means it's God that places a desire in you and the ability in you. And can I just say that we're almost all there already. Almost everybody in this room already is there. Some of you may say, I had my chance and I blew it, but you had the dream. But I have to move to step number two. So I want you to write a second word down. And I want you to skip down to verse eight. And I want you to write the word discover yourself. Discover. Verse eight, 1 Samuel 14, eight. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. Hey, while we're over here in the corner, hey, armor bearer, 
we, God could do something big. Shh, don't say nothing. We, they don't know we're here. We can talk big. We can make big plans. And nobody ever has to know the difference. That's kind of like me. I was always like, man, I'd like to be used. I wish I could be a missionary. I'd like to go preach some people at New Philadelphia. I'm scared. And you can dream and talk and dream and talk. And that's where we usually stay, isn't it? Most of us want to do something, but we'll never do it. Be honest. We will die and never doing it because we won't take the second step, which is to discover ourselves or write the word risk ourselves. You see, what happened was, oh, Jonathan and his armor bearer, they're down, in the, they're down below, and they're looking up on the hill, and they're like, I see the garrison. There's soldiers up there. Nobody can see them, and nobody hears them. And he turns to his armor bearer, and he says, armor bearer, God could do something with us today if he wanted to. God could do something with us if he wanted to. It may be, and there's no restraint, and he doesn't care how many people he's got. So, but here's what we got to do we got to discover ourselves. We'll never know until we take a chance. We'll never know until we take a chance. And so he's standing down there, and he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump up there where they can see us. And when we get up there where we can see us, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to holler and say, hey, glory to God, I'm here. I'm going to whoop out my sword. And if they look at me and say, stand still, boy, we ain't going to do nothing. That'll scare me. He said, but if that guy says, Get on over. We're going to whip your behind right now. He said, that means we won. The Lord has delivered them into our hands. Now, I'm sitting here calculating that. <laughs> Two of them, a hundred of them, they say stand still. That's just because they, that would, they would have had to get up and go to them. So the, the, the hundred guys are sitting there saying, we ain't getting up. We'll just whoop them when they get over here. Get on over here. We'll whoop you right now. Jonathan says, I'm just going to take that as a sign we can win. I'm from Tennessee. We count with our shoes off. I don't get that. But you have to take a chance. Some of you have been called to preach, quote unquote. Some of you felt the desire to go to the mission field, quote unquote. Some of you aren't involved in discipling anybody, but you wanted to. Some of you want to be a Sunday school teacher, run a bus route, you want to do something. There comes a time when you have to stand up and be counted. In 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 32, different story, but same principle. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail for, uh, because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with the Philistine. Here was the story there. Goliath is out in the valley. You know the story. And he's yelling and saying, bless God, I'm going to kill you. And send out your servant. Send out your warrior. Send out your fighter. And whoever loses, the other group has to, has to serve them. Saul is in his tent. He's a head and shoulders taller than everybody else. I mean, if everybody else is six foot, he's six foot eight. He's six foot ten. If everybody else is five eight, he's six foot three or four. I mean, he's a moose. And he's extremely good looking and he's capable and he's called and he's chosen and he's anointed. He's the man. And he's in his room. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And his son Jonathan's like, Dad. We're supposed to be killing the giant. What are we going to do? And he said, I don't know. And David shows up. <laughs> he was from Bucksnort or something. He was, he, he was light upstairs. I mean, his elevator didn't reach the last floor. He's talking around. He says, hey, what's that big old giant yelling about? And they said, well, he's got this, that, that, that. And David said, he ain't got no right to talk about our God like that. Somebody ought to go out there and just kill that guy. 
And they said, shut up, kid. You're not even big enough to be in the army yet. <laughs> You're just 20 years old. I think he was about 20. You're just a young punk. You're not old enough to be with us. We're the warrior. Look at these muscles. Daddy left you keeping the sheep, punk. You brought the cheese sandwiches to us. <laughs> David says, maybe I could talk to Saul. And he walks in this way he does to Saul. He said, Saul, have no fear for I am here. Sooner or later, it feels really foolish standing up and saying, maybe God wants to use me. I remember being so scared. <laughs> I went to the mission agency and they said, uh, what if we tell you that we don't believe you are capable of being a missionary? I said, that'll be good enough for me. You tell me that I'm going home. I said, I already don't believe it. So if you guys don't think I am, confirmation, buddy, confirmation. And they were like, that's not how you're supposed to answer. You're supposed to say, bless God, I'll go on anyway. But I was like, hey, you don't think I can do it? I ain't doing it. That's a true story. That's my wife. So you take a chance. You stand to be counted. You share your dream. But you prepare for doubters. 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 33, Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight against him. You're just a boy. And he is a man of war since he was a boy. That's Tennessee hillbilly version. But before that ever happened, he was talking to his brothers. He said, brothers, what's going on with this giant? And the brothers said, you're a punk. You're the baby. You're the spoil one. You still use a pacifier. Go home. You don't belong here. Leave the sandwiches. Go tell daddy we're all right. And David said, is there not a cause? I think I ought to do something. I think I ought to do something. I might not be much, but I think I ought to do something. And then the friends come around. Go read the story. The friends come around and say, <laughs> Sure, you can fight the giant. Yeah, I see it. And they said, We'll take you to the king. <laughs> this is going to be funny. Let's laugh. Let's all take bets on how fast the king throws him out. True or not, walks in the king, looks at him and said, you couldn't do it. And he says to the king, says, here, put on my armor. And David put on the king's armor and danced a jig inside of it. He couldn't move. He could just run around inside of it. It was like a grown man's big head and shoulders taller than everybody else. Guy's armor, he couldn't do it. But see, he'd taken step number two. And that's where most of you are. <laughs> you dream, but you haven't taken step number two. It's a scary day when you say, Pastor, I'm a nobody. I'm not good looking, not smart, not real capable. I'm sure if the leaders were voting, they probably wouldn't pick me. But I sure would like to do something. That's a scary day. That's a scary day. Some of you have already done that. But then there's a third word I'd like to show you. And I would like you to go down to chapter 14, verse 12. You must determine to pay the price. You must determine to pay the price. Verse 12, it says, 1 Samuel 14, 12. 
And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we'll show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me. The Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer after him. I just want you to get the picture. Watch this. There's two of them. There's a slew of them. They got bows and arrows. They got spears. Jonathan's got a sword and a spear. He's the only one. Him and his daddy the only one has got one. And when he said that, they could have easily said, Hey, boo! We're going to come fight you. And when the guy said, get on up here, he could have said, run. That's what I'd have said. But he said, hey, man, I think we won the battle. Come on. And he had to climb up on the hill. And he got up there and he goes, got my sword out. And he was ready for the battle. He had dreamed. He had discovered himself. And now he had to determine that he would carry it out. Maybe dealing with culture shock, maybe dealing with language learning, raising money, Bible school, a gazillion things. But he had dreamed, discovered, now he must determine. And I'd like to give you just a couple of points on how to do that, and we'll be through. In 1 Samuel 17, David will be greatly used to God. Another story, but it's parallel. You have to win your small victories first. You have to win your small victories first. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 34 through 37, David says to Saul, see what Saul said was, said, son, how in the world do you think you're going to, I, I won't read it to you, so just look this way. You can check me out later. He says, Saul, how, Saul uh, says to David, how in the world do you think you could whip that giant? And David says, well, Saul, I, I'm a shepherd. I watch over my sheep. And I was out there watching my sheep one day, and a lion came up, and he grabbed one of my sheep. Well, I, <laughs> I couldn't let him get away with that. So I went over there, and I grabbed him by the hair of his chinny-chin-chin, and I found him in the nose and killed him. Took my sheep back and said, don't try that again. He said, another day, a big old bear came, and I whipped him. He said, let me just tell you, though, it wasn't my strength. I'm not big enough to whip lions and bears. But when God's with you, you can whip a lion and a bear, and I've already proven that. And I whipped a lion and I whipped a bear and I slew him. And that's the same thing I plan on doing to this uncircumcised Philistine. I'm going to take him out. Not by my power. You look at me. I couldn't whip the lion. I couldn't whip the bear. But God can use me. I may not have language ability and I may not be smart. And I might come from Buckstort and I didn't even know how to use an indoor bathroom. But God can use me. God can use me. So you have to act on your faith. You have to act on your faith. In 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 45, David says to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and a spear and a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. <laughs> David steps out there, and that giant's mocking him. He's got big old spears, and he's got every kind of weapon you can imagine. And he looks down at David and said, I am not believing it. They don't even send a man. They send a dog out here to fight with me. What an insult. And here's David's answer. I'm the coolest guy in town. <laughs> the preacher likes me. The deacons like me. I'm cool. That's not what he said. He said, sir, you got all kind of weapons, and you got all kind of training, and you are the man. And honestly, you're right. I could never whip you. But I come in the name of the God of heaven. And in the name of the God of heaven, I'm fixing to feed your big old body to the birds. And that's how you'll do something for God. It'll never be you. It'll never be your ability. And if it were your ability, it would be worthless. It'll be God and his ability. 
By the way, David had the right purpose when he stepped out to fight Goliath. In 1 Samuel chapter 46, 17, verse 46, he said, This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and give it to the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day, and to the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there's a God in Israel. He didn't say so everybody will know that I really am good. He didn't say so everybody will clap and applaud me. He doesn't say so I'll get recognized and my name will be in the bulletin. He said, I'm going to kill you, giant, but I'm going to do it so that they'll all know there is a God in Israel. Now you listen, I'm going to tell you, here's the story. It starts with a dream. God could use me. He wants to use me. It's he that willeth and doeth in me of his good pleasure. And since I was a little boy, I wanted to be a missionary. Since I was a little boy, I wanted to teach the Bible. You wanted to work with those children. You wanted to go overseas. You wanted to be used to God. You thought, man, God could do something with me. And that dream's there. And that's been a long time. And your parents have discouraged you, and everybody else has discouraged you, and even the church has discouraged you, and other Christians have discouraged you, and life has discouraged you, and the world's discouraged you, and you've kind of shoved that dream way back down in the corner. But this morning, that dream seems to be saying, I'm back. God wants to use you. And you're hearing it. So step two is you'll discover yourself. So I, this is what I think happened. I think when Jonathan pulled out his sword and looked across there, and said, I'm here, and I'm fixing a fight with you. In that moment, when he discovered himself, he made a determination, I will go forward, and if I die, I die, but I will fight. I really believe that when he got close to that first, when he got close to that first Philistine, and he started to swing that sword, I'm going to give you my honest opinion, and this, is not in, this, this has got to be in the Hebrew or the Greek, which I can't read, but it's got to be in there. I really believe God came in there and said, let me, Take over. And he did, and that sword came around. That, the, the first guy got knocked to the ground, and the guys behind him went to with a spear, stabbed him, and said, Got him, Jonathan, get another one. Bam, another one failed. Bam, another one failed. Bam, another one failed. And it wasn't him, it was God using him. I believe with all my heart when David slung that stone at, the, at Goliath and that stone went flying. I don't know if you ever noticed it. That stone hit him here, and he didn't fall this way. He fell that way. Here's what I believe happened. When it got close, one of the angels went, bam, bam, boom, and he was down. And David's over going, wow, because it's never you, but it's God. You dream. You take a big risk. Because, I mean, son, you want to talk about embarrassing? When you stand up and say, Jeff, I think God might want to use me as a missionary, your friends are going to go, <laughs> never would have thought that of him. I would have thought Tom would, Jones would, or Sam would, or Susie would. I would have never thought that of him. You're going to go home, and even your mother's going to say, son, you can't even make your bed. <laughs> but you determine, pastor, Teach me, help me, outfit me, put me on the road. I want to do something for God. And I may look like a fool, but I'm going to die trying. And God will use you. One last verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, the Bible says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
and his grace which was bestowed on me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but Christ, but the grace of God which was with me. Watch. It's what Paul said. It was God that gifted me. It was God that made me able. But his grace wasn't in vain with me. I worked harder than everybody else put together. I got up before they did and stayed up after they went to bed. I studied and read my Bible when nobody else had time. I paid whatever price. It was God that did a work in me, but don't get the idea that God's just going to pick you up and magically walk you through and do everything. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God, but his grace was not in vain with me. He didn't give it to me empty and worthless. I used it. I worked it. I did what he gave me to do. I labored more abundantly than they all. I wonder what Peter thought when he read that verse. You know, Peter had to read that verse and go, you did, but that's what he said. And then he ended the verse saying, but it was still the grace of God, even though I busted it hard. But here it is this morning. I believe that God wants to use First Baptist Church of New Philadelphia to take the gospel to the world. I believe that God wants to use you. And I know what it's like to sit there in your seat scared because 40 years later, I'm still scared. Every battle that comes, every job he calls on me to do, I still think, God, there's a lot of Jeff Bartels. They can do stuff. But I'm just Austin Gardner from Bucksnort, Tennessee. Nobody from my county ever leaves the county. They grow up and they die there. They think they made it big when they get to Dollywood. How could you use me? I know where you're sitting. And I know what you're thinking. And I'm challenging you. Get up. Get up. That dream would make your life the most exciting, passionate, wonderful thing you could ever imagine. Get up. Discover yourself and say, I'm not much. But maybe the Lord would use me. Because there's no restraint to him. He can use a Tennessee hillbilly or an Ohio redneck. He can use me. And I am what I am by the grace of God. And I will work. Father in heaven, please do a work for your name.